1: Oh, I um, don't know what to say. Not, not, not simply because I've lost my voice. As you can see, I'm sounding quite hoarse. That's because I've been at Labour Party conference. But um, where to begin? with The state of the country and the government. Um, a new poll has just come out. Let's just have a little look at what that poll says. This new poll, which has just emerged, obviously amidst the collapse of the economy, Labour on 54%, the Conservatives on 21%. That's a 33-point lead for the opposition. Astonishing. Um, one projection suggests that if replicated at a general election under our first-past-the-post system, every single Conservative MP in Britain would lose their seats. That's what we're talking about. The government's Uh, Approval ratings, calamitous. Crazy ad apparently I think 6% of the population think he's doing a good job. I'd love to meet them. I think they largely work, and we'll talk about this, for neoliberal think tanks or their relatives or something. This is a monumental calamity facing the country, and I think we should be in no illusions about that. The Conservative Party launched a mini-budget, and under that mini-budget they proposed Drastic tax cuts for the richest 1%, who obviously have been booming like never before over the last few years. The consequences of that have been an epic catastrophe um, in the markets. The pound, guilt, borrowing, you name it. An absolute catastrophe facing this country. Now, largely, the people responsible for this, Liz Tross, Razor Quartine, vanished, just disappeared. Nowhere to be seen. Except this morning, Liz Truss did a round of local radio stations. I'll come on to that at the end after we speak to our brilliant expert because I want to talk to him first about what this all means. So we will go through, oh, we will go through every single car crash interview, which Liz Truss did, because I think it's quite astonishing just to listen to that. The point of her doing it, of course, was to avoid scrutiny at the national level. Local journalists don't have very much to lose. They don't have to depend on access and all the rest of it. We'll talk about that later. Now this is obviously an absolute catastrophe. I want to talk, so we'll go through later Liz Truss's interviews and what they represent. My voice will struggle. It's lemon tea. Yeah, I don't have COVID. I should clarify, perfectly fine. Just yelling too much in busy arenas at Labour Party conference, so I will get some lemon tea. If you're watching, press the YouTube link and press like and subscribe, and you can support the show on uh, YouTube by uh, by um, Uh, using Super Chat, which I will put all your questions using Super Chat to our brilliant guests. Um, And also do listen, of course, on the podcast. On Patreon, you can keep the show on the road. We've just done our uh, video Labour Party Conference. Next week, we're going to Birmingham for Conservative Party Conference. Hopefully, if my voice holds up. I've never thought I'd said this, but I cannot wait for Conservative Party Conference. That video is going to be is going to be quite something. Those videos are only made possible because of your support. Um, so do support some patreon.com, whatever you have, that keeps our videographer on union wages. He's the one who makes these videos, not me. Let's just bring in Alfie Sterling, who's the chief economist at the New Economics Foundation. Firstly, let's just talk about what's actually happened here. So the Conservatives, so obviously Liz Truss becomes Prime Minister. We all remember that. Momentous occasion, very well. And then they had to do some drastic actions on energy because without capping energy bills, society would have essentially collapsed because people can't afford to pay over 7,000 pounds a year. Uh, businesses would have gone to the wall. So she had to intervene, uh, but without imposing a windfall tax on energy companies. But then the Queen died. So we had this weird period where politics was kind of suspended. And then they launched a mini budget just explain quickly what was in that mini budget and where's it come from? If you like, ideologically, where, what's, what's the kind of ideological rationale and who designed it?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, going, so
1: I should say chief economist, brilliant guy at the new economics foundation. His work is always superb. But anyway, Alfie, go for it.
2: No, thanks a lot for having me on. Um, I mean, you know, the, One of the ironies actually is that had we not had this mini budget, we'd all be talking about the energy price freeze. And we'd be in the realms of that kind of more nuanced debate over um, design and targeting and and things like that. Um, You know, this this catastrophe we've had is now entirely self-inflicted from this intervention last Friday. And and what was in it was essentially a package of £45 billion, there or thereabouts, over the coming years of tax cuts, which overwhelmingly flowed to the most well-off. So on average, if you're in the poorest five or 10% of the population, you either won't benefit at all or on average, you might benefit by a bit less than 100 pounds a year. That compares to about eight and a half grand on average uh, for the top 10% and far higher, in fact, even within that for the super rich. Um, And that has been paid for in the near term, essentially by government borrowing. So government has borrowed um, and it is then handed out this cash, and crucially, it hasn't told us what it's going to do next. Um, the budget wasn't accompanied by economic forecast. It wasn't accompanied by uh, an explanation of how the strategy government has um, to resolve that government debt in the long term, and that is why markets are now responding in the way they are. It, in terms of, um, in terms of the, if you like, the rationale. Uh, the economic rationale that underpins this i mean i think there are two things Firstly, it's just the politics of this and it was interesting you you started um this you know this show with um with the polling because ironically i think the most coherent rationale for all of this was political which is that if you can just create a big enough of a short-term sugar rush over the next couple of years you might just hang on if you're a conservative government to the majority you're you're still clinging on to and all the pain you know the effects to government uh, public services um, to the pound, to everything else, comes in the next parliament. Now that clearly hasn't hasn't worked out, uh, but I do think that was the initial. I think the politics is the first part of this. I think this was intended as a political uh, budget. Um, in terms of the economics, um, you know, I think I think it's you know it's a classic trickle down economics in the sense that the idea is that if you concentrate wealth and spending power amongst the rich, they will invest that um, and spend that and the proceeds will uh, generate growth and that will trickle down to everyone else. In some ways, that's a sort of left-wing caricature to be fair of the right rationale, it, the more technical explanation is the right believe that if you um, align incentives in the right way, the supply side of the economy, i.e. Uh, the means by which we produce goods and services will become more efficient um, and then growth will rise in the long run because the economy is able to produce and sell more. If we go back to go full circle, the reason why this has all fallen apart is because markets simply and literally didn't buy it as a rationale, didn't buy that economic justification. They do not believe long run growth is going to be um, is going to be high. um, And they have and their money has done the talking and they've been selling pounds ever since.
1: Now, one of the kind of classic kind of, you know, moments in British political history, that this faction of politics, Hark-Pakti, is early Thatcherism. So Margaret Thatcher came to power in 1979. The post-war consensus was in crisis. There was very significant inflation across the Western world. And she then, the Thatcher government, introduced drastic neoliberal policies. And they would say the economic establishment howled at us we had, you know, talk of massive disaster, there was mass unemployment. The Labour under Michael Foote, erased from history, did also have, at one point, 30-point leads over the Conservatives. Now, why, you know, why, in a sense, firstly, is that what happened? Was that a, a demonstration of the huge success of Thatcherite dogma? And why isn't what they think happened in the early 80s going to happen again?
2: I and mean, there's quite a lot there. I mean, I think just one, just oh, a couple yeah. of quick things in terms of um, a couple of ironies, actually, you know, as you say, this government is a self-startled sort of heir to Thatcher. And yet their very first intervention as a government was to intervene directly into energy markets and freeze the price. Um, and then their second intervention was to um, destroy the markets. <laughs> so so they've, it, there's a sort of irony in um, in what, how they sort of painted the picture and then what they've gone about and done in their first few weeks. Also just, incidentally, Thatcher, that fir- those first early Thatcher budgets, and she moved away from this, but were actually about monetarism, controlling the supply of money, and that's something that Trust talked quite a lot about um, and attacked um, Rishi Sunak and the Bank of England over this point of quantitative, e- quantitative easing. Well, again, ironically, as a result of her budget, the Bank of England had, has, has had to come in and uh, announce a new round of quantitative easing precisely to try and offset what she's, uh, what she's done. But I think you know, I think I think stepping back and answering the question more more seriously, um, I you know, I, I don't think we actually even have to look back to Thatcher to see how this ends. Um, this is the thing. I, I don't think this is in many... I mean, the extent to which they... The speed of which they've done this and the sort of handedness ca- of which they've managed this budget is exceptional. But the underlining direction uh, for policy is something we've seen for the best part of a decade. You know, we spent 10 years before COVID Cutting personal and business taxes, uh, cutting uh, government investment to pay for it, um, and we know how it ends. It ends with stagnant earnings growth. It ends with um, you know with with um, public services literally crumbling in front of our eyes, and it ends with life expectancy for the first time in decades no longer rising and in fact falling. Um, and if that's what's happened in the last ten years, um, I think that the wrong lessons that the right have learned from the Thatcher period is that um that in the in the end you know modern economies can sustain high levels of inequality um you know you can have this trickle-down effect you can generate some growth from it and you can survive the inequality that pervades afterwards um and i think that is a fairy tale they're hanging on to and you know in the end inequality isn't just wrong for moral reasons for social reasons for the fabric of our society the well-being of people that live in our society economically in the end it disembowels Modern economies because it sucks spending power into few into too few people um, and it stalls growth.
1: I mean, I thought it was interesting. One lonely apologist for conservative party economic policy um, said, "Well, actually, what Thatcherism did in the early eighties has paved the way for the growth of the nineteen nineties. But the economic growth of the nineteen nineties was the worst of any decade on average since World War II. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that the promise of Thatcherism was growth." It provided insecurity, inequality, huge social devastation. But it, we haven't had strong economic growth since the fall of the post war consensus. We had, we've had recessions, we had a great financial crash, and we've had lackluster growth and stagnating living standards. Hmm. Um, just to go on to what's happened here, can you just explain the impact of what's going to happen? Like, what's the real world impact? Of the chaos we're seeing unleashed in the markets.
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the truth is, a lot of this is still really uncertain because we. The, the key question now is, what does government do next? Um, we've had the immediate reaction um, from public institutions, from investors in this country, um, and it's been really bad, and it's forced the Bank of England to step in. Um, the UK, you know, UK is a is a large advanced mature economy with institutions that can step in to stabilize these sorts of things and we're lucky that's the case um, the question now is what does government do in response to what they've just seen because that is what will dictate if you like the next uh, the coming months and years um, if they double down and they set as they are right now um, and say that you know not only is it the right strategy but everything we've seen in the last few days has got nothing to do with their budget that's actually what they what they've been claiming uh, most recently um, then they will have to answer the question of how do they pay for the tax cuts they've just announced on the 28th of November when the office of budget responsibility produces their forecast and the government will likely produce a full budget as well and they have three options at that point one is to just let um, debt fall gradually over time in relation to the economy that's very unlikely precisely because the OBR are going to say there isn't any growth. Um, their next option is to raise taxes, that's extremely unlikely unless they're going to U-turn politically and take the cost for that and the third option is cuts, cuts to public spending uh, which I think is now where we should be turning our attention beyond the immediate macroeconomic effects, um, effects on interest rates on people's mortgages uh, that we're seeing right now and what could come in the future, it's the effects on public services again round two of austerity, um, and that has to come in the form of cuts to public services, cuts to the, the, uh, the welfare bill, or cuts to public investment. Um, and I think that's now the next thing that we'll be moving on to if the government doubles down. There are other scenarios here where government either chooses not to double down because they can see there's a political cost to where they're heading, or they get forced to um, to do something else by their own party or by uh, or by the chain of events that follows. But that's, I think, the path we're beginning to move down now.
1: In terms of what, I mean, what Liz Truss has said and Crazy Core Time, even though they've largely disappeared from public view, is that they're going to stay the course. There's going to be no U turn on this whatsoever. I mean, what, what, I mean, their view is they'll brazen it out. Maybe the markets will stabilize. What's your thoughts on that?
2: So, if, if you, if you like, things work out, (laughs) quote unquote, in terms of what they actually plan, then we'll end up with, um, You know, a big rise in inequality as a direct effect of the tax cuts. Um, We'll end up with much higher interest rates uh, because the Bank of England will have had to have intervened uh, and gone much further than they would otherwise. What does that mean? That means, you know, almost one for one, it will see debt, uh, sorry, interest rates on debt and credit rising. So people's credit card bills will become more expensive, their mortgages will become more expensive, but also people's rent. You know, anybody that's in the, renting in the private sector, renting from a buy-to-let landlord, that landlord will have to now be paying a higher mortgage bill and they'll be passing that on through rents. So interest rates will very quickly uh, permeate um, the economy. And then we'll have, um, if you like, as I was talking about the second round effects, which is what does the government do to try and pay for this? And the question mark then, and the questions that then rises.
1: In terms of... Um, the housing bubble, for example, a lot of people would say, well, look, house prices have been spectacularly high. They priced out a generation, generation rent. Is it so bad if we get a sudden collapse in house prices?
2: I mean, <clears throat> I think I think that people often sort of say, you know, oh yeah, you know, a rise in interest rates um, is bad uh, for people because of the, the increase in, uh, you know, increased cost of servicing debt and a cut in interest is bad because it fuels house prices. And either way, um, you know, young people lose out and the answer is yes that's true because in the end it's not about um, whether it's higher interest rates it's the fact that the underlying inequality of wealth is so stark uh, that whichever direction the dial moves is going to hurt those who have not got as much as others more than anyone else um, so I, I think that's you know so, so you know yes <clears throat> higher interest rates um, and uh, you know and reduce affordability of mortgages will reduce house prices and and that will you know that may be helpful to people that are trying to buy a home, um, who otherwise may not be able to. But at the same time, those same people will have higher credit card bills. Their earnings may be um, uh, plummeting. In fact, they might lose their job because of the recession that's about to happen. And of course, and then there's all the people that are not even close to buying a home, and are only renting anyway, and hand to mouth. Have got you know paid their lenders credit card uh, uh, bills to pay, and they're going to be hit as well. So. I don't see this working this is this is a, an economy wide um pain uh, which as of all these things will follow an inequality gradient and those that have least uh, will have the least uh, resources to to weather the storm
1: so I would say by the way i mean i do want to put this to you that a lot of people are celebrating they're celebrating because i mean not not i mean we need to be careful there i think people obviously are horrified and terrified about what's of to the economy but they're celebrating about the destruction of the Conservative Party potentially. The markets have have, have basically are strangling the government to death. But another way of looking at it is, however much we object, I mean, the democratic argument is flawed because no one voted for this program, did, didn't win a general election, wasn't even put to Conservative Party members, so they really did to just pluck it out of the ether. Um, but nonetheless, it is a government which is, in a parliamentary democracy, legitimate. They've enacted some legislation, and the markets have strangled it. Wouldn't the same happen if, for example, a progressive government came to power, tried to do something genuinely transformative, and then the markets came down like a ton of bricks and stopped mm. them from doing that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's several things. I think, I think you know, markets. I, I, it's not a good, not a good way to do, um, you know, democracy and economic governance by just responding to markets and market sentiment. Um, and markets need significant reform because they don't actually. Push governments in the right way at all, and there's a whole number of there's a whole number of reasons why that's the case. Um, <clears throat> but equally, you know, a very high level markets. What are they in the end? In the end, they are um, the, the means by which uh, globally people invest in this country, and that and that matters. Uh, where, you know, however much you you can put more or less weight behind that, um, and it certainly isn't the be all and end all of everything, but it, it does matter insofar as trying to attract people to um, invest in this country, um, invest in the people, invest in the services. Um, so would this happen to a, you know, a, a different government program? I think, yes, it, it could. Um, and I think that, that just because markets um, respond in a certain way doesn't mean that a program, doesn't on its own mean that a program of government is flawed. Um, but actually what's interesting about this, and I think it's absolutely vital that we learn the right lessons from this period of time, is that markets aren't responding to an increase in public debt per se. Now, that is the charge that normally gets thrown at left-wing governments it's that you'll come in you'll borrow too much and the markets will freak out that's not what's happened here um and it's vital we don't come away with the lesson that, that is what's happened what's happened is markets have said we don't understand what you're doing with that borrowing we don't believe your narrative that cutting taxes will increase growth um and because we don't buy that we we're no longer going to be investing um, um in this country so if you like the, the increase in um, uh, government debt and the crash in the pound is an incompetency premium on this government. Um, and how do we know that? We know that because um, because passing markets are saying it, <laughs> they're saying that the problem here is we don't we don't think the outlook of the economy um, is good now as a result of these policies. but also because strictly speaking, if you uh, as a government spend lots of money, whether that's through direct spending or cat, t- uh, uh, tax cuts, um, that's reflationary, It should push inflation up. And that will push interest rates up and higher interest rates should mean the pound actually rises, all else being equal. We've seen the opposite. And the reason for that is because they don't believe that narrative. They don't believe that government will deliver what they're saying they'll deliver.
1: Lastly, I just want to ask you about Labour, because Labour have now started to flesh out a vision. I mean, they spent a long time, I would say, not offering a vision. Keir Starmer offered 10 pledges, amongst other policy pledges, during the leadership election, which he junked but there's been more promising signs at Labour Party conference something more something clear is being etched out so I'm just interested what are your thoughts on the direction that Labour's taken about what they're kind of beginning to flesh out um and is it kind of does it meet the challenges of the moment
2: <clears throat> I think it's I think the latest Conference is hugely welcome. Um I mean actually just giving def- policy definition to what Labour's project is is just welcome in and of itself because um mm-hmm. agree or disagree, we've had very, very little um to go on for a long time and that's been a really big problem. You know, if you're the main opposition, people don't know what you're standing for, that's um that's a big problem. Um but it's welcome in and of itself. But actually the direction is also welcome um on top of that. Um and a lot of the ideas um that Labour are now you know developing and, and in fairness there's a lot of very worked through, well thought out thinking that's come out. Um, it's a first step. Um, is it, is it you know, entirely requisite to the moment? Does it answer the question, the big questions we have, um, not just for the coming months, but the coming years? No, it doesn't, but you're never gonna answer all that at one conference. Um, but it is well thought out and it is in the right direction, um, particularly in terms of saying, you know, we need to talk about having a serious approach to industrial strategy uh, that thinks about jobs, the distribution of jobs, who owns the proceeds of investment and how do you align all of that with a decarbonisation agenda um, ensuring that industries and jobs are clean for the future. I think that is hugely positive and then the policies that are in behind it um, are strong but there is a long way to go and then I guess the biggest danger here is you know almost putting aside you know electoral um, electoral risk and challenges even if this Labour government does get elected the scale of the problems we're facing, whether it's inequality, whether it's public services that are impoverished, whether it's the, whether it's climate change and the action we need to take um, to prevent the catastrophes that um, implies. There's a danger that this government, that's right, that, that a Labour government um, would not move fast enough um, uh, to address those things.
1: Alfie, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for putting up with my slightly hoarse voice. But your voice was lucid and clear, which is what we needed. Um, but really, really
2: appreciate
1: it. No, you sound great. I sound horrendous, actually. I would say, uh, but you sound you sound wonderful, and more importantly, your analysis was great. And I can see in the comments was massively um, appreciated. Do follow Alfie. If you look up Alfie Sterling on Twitter, you'll find him very quickly, and you can read all his stuff. And also, do obviously look up the New Economics Foundation website. They are an absolute fountain of brilliant ideas, which should be taken up. But Alfie, honestly, real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks a lot for having me on. and um, Cheers.
1: Oh, it's in a bit, buddy. Great stuff from Alfie, um, as ever. Brilliant analysis. New Economics Foundation really do some amazing stuff. So do check them out. Okay. Liz Truss, the Prime Minister. She became Prime Minister. I'm sure we all remember that. Wonderful moment. A new Margaret Thatcher for our times. It was going to smash away the 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 Labour Party and 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 she's gonna transform Britain and unleash entrepreneurial spirit and all the rest of it. So she introduced, as we know, a mini budget which has slashed taxes on the rich, which then caused a crash in the economy. Now you might expect Liz Truss and Crazy Quartan, her Chancellor, the architects of this catastrophe to so maybe in a moment of crisis, which they caused entirely by themselves to try and address the public and the nation, maybe did something Rooseveltian. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Some other cliche. I don't know. It's up to them. They've got speechwriters. But they just vanished. They just whoo, disappeared entirely from their murder scene. Now, that's not entirely what happened because Liz Truss did agree to do a round, a media round of local BBC outlets. Now, some were very disparaging about this, very snotty, very snobbish. And the reason they were is they were like, well, these are just local journos. Oh, big mistake. Big mistake. You see, the difference is with these local presenters and the lobby journalists, lobby journalists, the national political journalists, they're too close to power. They spend a lot of time with powerful politicians. They socialize with them. They fraternize with them on a regular basis. And you know, also, they depend on access because, you know, if they say the wrong thing, if they're maybe too aggressive, as far as the government are concerned, they just get frozen out. Not the case with local radio presenters. If they get an interview with the prime minister, that's a rare event. They don't need to constantly have these back and forth with their spin doctors. So Let's having vanished, decided to do this reading around. I have no idea which clips I'm going to play now. I don't know which is which. I just put four in. So we're going to find out. This is a lucky dip. Everyone ready? The Liz Trust Local Media Roundup. Lucky dip. Which one should we start with? Let's start with this one.
0: Can you guarantee to my listeners this morning that their pensions are safe?
3: Well, the Bank of England does a very, very good job on delivering financial stability. That, and that, that that is that's exactly not an answer, Prime Minister. Can you guarantee that
0: people's pensions I are want safe? To
3: Well, the Bank of England do that and they do a very good job of it. But I just wanted to answer the previous point you were making.
1: (laughs) The pause, the pause. When she was asked, can you go into people's pensions? (laughs) She's the prime minister. Can you go into people's pensions? She just didn't say anything. She's, there was a part of silence. Now, as well as the fact that I think quite a lot of people are probably quite worried about their pensions, I think the Conservative Party are entirely dependent, certainly for their polling base, on the votes of pensioners, like the over sixty fives, is what their support is what's consistently delivered. The Conservative Party their victories since twenty ten, and now the Conservative Prime Minister cannot even guarantee if their pensions are safe. That's what she just did. That was literally what she just said. And the fact is, pension funds were on the verge of going bankrupt, nearly a layman's Brothers moment for pension funds until the Bank of England stepped in. So she's just passing the ball. She's just, instead of being able to guarantee pensions, she's just saying, Bank of England's doing a good job. Goodness grief
3: next it's also about how we grow the size of the pie so that everyone can benefit
2: by borrowing more and putting our mortgages up
0: quality sleep is essential that's why
1: the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together
3: We need to borrow more this winter for the energy crisis that we're facing. And we're I think that was the right thing to do. We're going is...
2: to spend more in mortgage fees under what you've done based on the predictions than we would have saved with energy.
3: I don't think anybody is arguing that we shouldn't have acted on energy, which is.
1: a pause again, isn't it? It's just a pause, just a pause of death. I'm going to call it Liz Truss's pause of death and doom. Um, The point there, the very critical point they made is they claimed obviously, because what with the any with the, you know, the tax cuts and all the rest of it, you know, that was going to hand someone on a million pounds, over 50,000 pounds extra, someone on middle income, about 200 quid. But even with their energy bills, Being, you know, they're still significantly higher even after the government intervened than they were, say, last year. So, what's happening now with interest rates, for example, and the general cost of living, because the cost of imports are going to get more expensive because of the pound depreciating, is those people are going to be hammered even more. She doesn't have an answer to that. She doesn't have an answer to that. That's why she paused. But that's the reality of what her economic policies are going to do because rising interest rates. And the crisis of the pound, the inflationary pressures that she's now accelerating are going to devastate people on middle and low incomes. Even people who are relatively well off, not the super rich, because they've always got the Conservative Party to look after them. Let's go for this one. This is a longer one, but let's do it.
0: Let's talk about local consent right now. What does that look like? Scott Benton. The Conservative MP for Blackpool South, in a tweet, says he believes that people in Blackpool South do not support fracking. This is the Tory MP for filed Mark Menzies in the House of Commons.
2: If the Prime Minister is to
0: remain a woman of our word, a woman that we can believe in, which I believe she is, can the Secretary of State outline how that local consent will be given and demonstrated in my constituency of Fylde? Yeah. What does local consent look like, Prime Minister?
3: Well, I the 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 energy secretary will be laying out uh, in more detail exactly what that looks like, but it does mi- mean making sure there is local support for for going ahead. And it, I can assure it sounds you, like you don't and I know. can assure and I can assure mark menzies. well, there are there are various detailed issues to be worked through, but I can assure Mark Menzies that I will make sure there is local consent if we are to go ahead in any particular area with fracking.
0: But your local MPs don't want it, all Conservative. In the past, the County Council have said they didn't want it, yet your government overturned it. The science hasn't changed. Why can't you tell us this morning there won't be a return to fracking in Lancashire?
3: Well, I don't don't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Why? It's certainly the case at present, Uh, because... What I've said is if there is local consent, we will go ahead. We need to explore where there is local consent and where there isn't, and we're still doing that work.
1: Your I Chancellor, don't think
3: we should rule out the whole okay. of Lancashire.
0: You talked about how it's a, a success in other countries, but in America they do it in the middle of nowhere. Do you actually know where Preston New Road is, where they have been fracking?
3: Well, I don't, I, I don't think I've been to that site in the past. Shouldn't you? As I've said, we will only go ahead with projects where there is local consent. I'm very, very clear about that. Now, we will make sure that that local consent is in place. And
1: She's <laughs> <laughs> five minutes there. That's the prime minister, she's she's literally in charge of the country. It's, the prime, it's not just some random person on the street, but it does sound a bit like. I accept. She's the someone's put in the comments appearing to be overexcited, overstimulated, unnatural. i mean, question, question mark. I think the implication there is that I'm on drugs. I'm not on drugs unless you include a thirty-three point lead for the conservative uh, for the Labour Party. Beg your pardon, <laughs> and uh, Liz Truss doing. The worst interviews ever done by any prime minister in history with local presenters who she thought she destroyed oh i need a tissue um let's keep rolling keep rolling roll the tape
3: facing no more than 2500 pounds for a typical energy bill we've also taken action to reduce our tax burden
0: and spur yeah, but Prime Minister, with projects, respect, that so is we the get same economic answer you've given going. to every BBC local radio station this morning. You've got the Bank of England stepping in now to try and clean up a mess a government has caused that has never happened.
3: We have a very, very difficult economic global situation because of the war that Vladimir Putin has perpetrated in Ukraine,
0: and countries are under pressure. Around well, but the this world, isn't this isn't putin this isn't just about putin i mean your chancellor on friday opened up the stable door and spooked the horses so much you can almost see the economy being dragged behind them
3: this is about putin and the war in ukraine that is why we so are the bank of england intervention prices. yesterday
0: was the fault of vladimir putin was it
3: what i was saying is it's very difficult and stormy times in the international markets And of course the Bank of England is independent. It takes the action it needs to take and it is responsible for interest rates and it is responsible for financial stability. But
1: it... I mean, so there she, she obviously had, she tried to blame Vladimir Putin. She tried to blame Vladimir Putin for the chaos which she and Crazy Kwarteng have unleashed on the British economy. As the presenter very ably pointed out there, was it Vladimir Putin who forced the Bank of England to do an emergency intervention in the British economy? I know I'm laughing, I know I'm laughing, but this isn't actually that funny. Because what we have here is an ideologically deranged government, which has decided to turn this country into one giant laboratory with you as lab rats for a policy of class war on behalf of the rich, which has now had devastating economic consequences, which millions of people aren't even gonna feel yet, but they will. And it's really important as well, as much as we laugh at Liz Tross's absurd, woeful, humiliating interviews. And I did say, During the leadership election, I could see at least theoretically the appeal of previous Tory leaders, even just on a communications level, did not understand this trust. Utterly bizarre, as far as I'm concerned. Really bizarre. It's easy to place the blame on their two shoulders, but that's not what's happened here. We've had now an experiment in Thatcherism for over four decades, a Thatcherite experiment which has delivered nothing other than insecurity inequality and social dislocation didn't provide growth. The growth since the Thatcherite experiment has been significantly weaker on average than the growth before it. The 1960s had the highest growth on average of any decade since the war. And that was a time of strong trade unions, workers rights, nationalization, high taxes on big business and the rich. So this Thatcherite experiment The whole basis of it is shrink the state, give loads of money to rich people and it will all trickle down. And we've had the longest squeeze in living standards now for generations, for for centuries, in fact, since records began. And her whole claim, oh, if you cut taxes, then the rich will just go and spend it rather than save it, which is what they do, is itself destroyed, that claim, by the very fact that the Conservatives did cut corporation tax since they came to power in 2010 and it didn't increase investment. Companies just sat on it. And that's why Rishi Sunak was right. He said that. And I'm not giving him any more credit than that because he also is a right-wing ideologue. He's just not as unhinged as this one. But they cut corporation tax. It didn't increase investment. They're trying to do the same again. And now they're going to have to pay for it by massive cuts in expenditure to try and assuage the markets they've panicked. This cannot go on. There's no mandate for it. No one voted for it. And the idea there's any support in the country for this economic experiment is an offensive joke. So what happens next? Very good question. This is not sustainable. This government has to be removed. It's a threat, literally, to the lives, the security of millions of people, tens of millions of people. The future of this country, in terms of the impact this could have, it's like a nuclear bomb going off in the economy. And I think also the danger is, the danger is, and and Dominic Cummings has made this point, um, on Twitter just now, is that they will try and do stupid things as regards the situation with Russia. Because, you know, what got Margaret Thatcher partly out of the hole she was in the early 1980s? The Falcons' war. So they will think, ah, if we kind of cause some sort of ratchet-up conflict, all the rest of it. So we need to be very careful. The other is they'll press the culture war button. So I think this is clearly a national catastrophe, which was the consequences of this crazed experiment and a policy of class war on behalf of the rich. So as much as these car crash interviews, you have to laugh at them to some degree because they're so ridiculous, but they just expose the fact that we have maniacs in charge of the country who have dusted off every piece of right-wing extremist economic policy devised in these shadowy think tanks whose funding is never revealed, and now we're all the victims of it. Can't hold. Now, in terms of as well, I can see on Twitter, centrist dad contingent. Oh, I can't say centrist dad. I forgot the hate crime. They get very angry when I say centrist dad. Um, a certain contingent think that because the Tories have a 33-point lead, that'll be devastated. People saying, oh, thoughts and prayers with Owen Jones. Owen Jones will be devastated. Let me just read some of them. No doubt, Owen Jones will be asking why Labour aren't 34% ahead in the polls. I wonder what Owen Jones is thinking now. Who is more scared and scarred by Labour's 33-point lead, Liz Truss or Owen Jones? Spare and boat thought for Owen Jones with this difficult news. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I joined the Labour Party aged 15 years old. Yeah, what a sad little muppet I, I am. am. Tony Blair was the leader at the time. This was back in, what, 1999? Quite a while ago. It's literally over two decades ago. And I voted Labour in every single local, national, and European election. That's how much Labourism, if you like, is etched into my bones. Yeah, I'm a socialist. A democratic, radical socialist who believes in the transformation of society. And that means I'm often at loggerheads with the Labour leadership because they don't go far enough or they do very bad things like invade foreign countries and murder lots of people or introduce private sector involvement in public services. even New Labour, I would say, did good things on the minimum wage, LGBTQ rights, devolution, public investment, even if it was marred by privatisation. Now, unlike some of my bitter critics on social media who were voting for the Lib Dems not that long ago, I actually always think to myself, when it comes to a fight between the Tories and the Labour Party, the worst Labour government is always better than the best, whatever that is, Conservative government. Now, I just want to make that clear because the idea... You know, I grew up in a community where I saw people who suffered the consequences of conservative rule. I saw people who wore school uniforms at weekends because they didn't have any of the clothes. I saw people who literally just struggled to eat, lived in overcrowded homes where they had no place to study and all the rest of it, whose parents often just struggled with the very basic amenities that people should take for granted in a wealthy country now. I'm not happy, obviously, with lots of the things that the Starmer leadership is doing, not least that they departed from their 10 pledges. I'm much happier, I have to say, with the vision they're outlining now in terms of their conference. There's been a shift um, in terms of, for example, the public energy company, uh, for example, in terms of previous that, the 28 billion pounds to green uh, investment, the National Sovereign Wealth Fund, council housing. These are good things. It's a step in the right direction. There'll be things I strongly disagree with, not least, as I've said, not abiding by the pledges made in the leadership election. But the idea I have anything other than an inbuilt, passionate hatred of Toryism and everything it stands for, unlike some of these people on Muppets, some of them, I'm afraid to say, on social media, who, as I've said, were screaming about how they would never vote Labour again under Jamie Corbyn and vote for the Lib Dems. Some of them vote Tory, I noticed, the other day. And now we're like, oh, Owen Jones is a Tory agent. Under Corbynism. Corbynites were denounced as a cult for calling their Labour critics red Tories. Every day now, my feed is just full of people calling me a Tory because I don't uncritically support the Labour leadership. And that's the other thing. I'm an independent commentator and an independent journalist. Yes, most of my work, as this video, is aimed at the Conservatives. But obviously, I hold other politicians to account. With that in mind, by the way, here's another thing. So at Labour conference, we did a video. We always do a video at Labour Party conference. As part of my job. We're doing one at Conservative Party Conference, which we also do every single year. What we do there is we put questions to various journalists, uh, politicians and the grassroots. One of the themes this year was, is Labour still a broad church? That was obviously promised during the leadership election. So in the spirit of that, I interviewed a range of people. Actually, I interviewed people like Chris Bryan. Um, I interviewed West Streeting. Um, and on the left, I interviewed people like Nadia Whittam. Lloyd Russell-Moyle, and I also interviewed Jess Phillips, who I've interviewed actually several times before. Now, let's have a look at this clip, because it caused quite a lot of a stir on social media. Is Labour still a broad church? Yes. But do you think when yesterday the head of the Disputes Committee in the NEC said, we're going to shut the...
4: Ask me about things I know nothing about. Well, he just said,
1: we've got to finish the job and close the door on the hard left so they can never return. Is that very broad churchy? Yeah, but,
4: I mean, the reality is, is what you've got to shut the door on is the thing that didn't get us elected and caused absolute grief the Labour Party conference sure. is like really really nice and friendly you're here you've been They're, let in you know I know
1: in. just about <laughs> 200,000 two members have left
4: but, and it's not for me to say why people should not shouldn't I'm not going to say that people have to stay in the Labour Party if they don't but want why to don't in feel, my constituency all the same members are there like what I hear being talked about here just doesn't marry up with the reality well, on the ground in my constituency. But they've left.
1: Two thousand people have left the Labour Party. Well,
4: then, you know, others have joined. I like. I have left. But and gone down. But I have left and rejoined the Labour Party a number of times in my life. Like, I think that left-wing. Are, they st- so are, are perfectly welcome. Welcome, and also I think that loads of us have them, and are painted as not having them by nah. people who uh, who uh, have their own agendas. Who are they? The- almost everybody in the Labour Party is left wing.
1: Are they? Yep. Is that true? Well, why of did this they- Why is it that we had Labour MPs to ending up? you know, for example, defected to change UK and becoming Tory peers. I mean, Do you think they were I think of a reason ring?
4: why Luciana Berger defected. Ian can o- you?
1: What about Ian Austin? He was appointed by the government as a cross bench pe- peer. Been, Who, you're just he?
4: talking about, like, different individuals. I don't, you know, what you have, you have saying? to ask hey, what? Ian Austin.
1: Do you think Chuck Romano was was left-wing?
4: Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. I mean, I don't... I've never studied him. I, he, doesn't, said, he doesn't live rent-free in my head, so I don't a, know. There
1: is a right of the party and a left of the party. Like, there's a left of, course, of the Tory of party.
4: Of course, but I'm constantly... I you on the right. No, you see, that's where you're wrong. What, what you makes right? you say that? What? what What is it about my politics that makes you think I'm right-wing?
1: Um, okay, where do I start? Do you support, for example, would you support um, in, in, introducing a top rate of tax for people earning over 80 grand?
4: I mean, I'm not going to commit to fiscal okay. policy, but of course people who earn more should pay more tax.
1: Yeah, well... Of I, course. Yeah, but, I, okay, so you would go... But for,
4: you, that's just, you okay, know, I would so have to look... Unlike you, Owen, I, mean, I would have to look at how these things were going to affect the
1: economy oh, rather I see, than I see. So holding up a sign. So you're left wing in the abstract? No,
4: no, uh, no. <laughs> I'm left-wing in the world that I live
1: in. Okay, so, but it just... What... I spend
4: my entire life trying to fight for people who have absolutely nothing but on it... the basis of equality, on the basis of all sorts of other things. Sure. And the idea that I'm right-wing because no, you... I don't want to hold context... a banner of
1: certain people... In the context of the Labour Party, I'm saying you're on the right.
4: Uh, okay, you can say that.
1: Because you wouldn't... So, for example, would you support...
4: Frankly, you can say whatever you like.
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's democracy, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't support, for example, nationalisation of water or energy.
4: Um, I, mean, I once said I would nationalise your mum, uh, like the reality. I think she'd be delighted. It, to be nationalised. Yeah. Well, uh, like the people's mum. Of course, I believe that public services should be
1: run for the good of the people. So we, you would nationalise utilities if you could, all utilities. If,
4: if, if there was no cost, and there was no. If I lived so in a world where the no, there was no. Where there was no downside to the moon on the stick, then of course I'd go, I'll have a moon.
1: That's just saying I'd be left wing if it was possible. That's all you're no, saying. You have to
4: work to make it possible, and you don't make it possible. You don't make it possible when you don't win elections. How, how's it going for you,
1: anyway? I've got how's to go. what? How's so what going for me? So the response amongst Jesse's army of online fans was Owen Jones destroyed and owned, um, and obviously as you can see, I've been completely crushed into the dust. Yeah, I suppose what I'd say about that particular clip is this, really, because I think what uh, fans have focused on is they were like, I was calling her right wing as in a conservative. But as I made clear in the video, what I was talking about, and obviously that's kind of a direction she wanted to go in, what I was interested in is, is Labour still the broad church, which Keir Starmer promised in the leadership election? And he harks back to Harold Wilson, where you had Tony Benn in the cabinet, for example, but you also had David Owen, who ended up, founding the Social Democratic Party. So under Harold Wilson and then Jim Callaghan, you had the Labour left, centre and right in the cabinet. It was a broad church. You don't have that anymore. You don't have people who support Jeremy Corbyn at all in the shadow cabinet. So that's, at the same time, 200,000 people have left overwhelmingly on the left. So that was the point. So the, the point about the Labour Party is there's always been what's known as the Labour rights and the Labour left. And many people on the Labour right call themselves that. They're often known as the old Labour right, predating new Labour. And they organise themselves with, for example, Labour first, which is the organised old Labour right, and then new Labour, which is more on the right than that. Doesn't mean they're right-wingers in Conservatives, it just means they're on the right compared to the left of the Labour Party. That's the point. That That was the whole point, not me saying I think Jess Phillips is a Tory. Don't think Jess Phillips is a Tory, just think she's on the right of the Labour Party. And the difference that I was teasing out there was the argument between often the Labour left and the Labour right is the Labour Left will say policies like nationalization of utilities is both politically possible um as as well as good, desirable. Whilst the Labour right, if they think nationalisation is a good thing and they don't all think that, but they will say it's not practical that it would be great to have, as Jess Phillips says, a moon on a stick, but it's not viable. And that's the difference, if you like, between the labor left and the labor right. Labor left will go, nationalization is very popular. It's more so practical. The labor right will say, well, I'm afraid it isn't actually possible. And therefore we have to prioritize doing other things instead, which aren't as drastic. For example, maybe toughening up the regulator of energy companies. So philosophical difference. That was the point of that exchange if you like. Now, the reason we posted it is because, just quite colorful, it was quite colorful, but we also couldn't put it in the main video because the videographer thought it was too long and we had other people from her side of the labor Party, so we released it. But as you can see, it was about being owned and destroyed and actually, um, as you can see, I have been smashed. But that's the philosophical difference that was being explored in my conversation um, with, with Jess Phillips. That was the point of the conversation. And it is just the, it's just the way, if you like, it's a why, how different parts of the Labour Party see the world and see what is politically possible, if that makes sense. Now, I think we're going to wrap up. The reason I did the show on Thursday is because the economy's collapsing and the Tories are collapsing. But also I'm going to Oslo for a political conference. I can't really record from there, which is a problem. Um, but also we're doing Conservative Party conference video on, uh, it'll release that by Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon. So we're gonna record it, I'd say, all on Monday, and then we'll put it up on Wednesday, which, um, oh, people are talking about the Al Jazeera documentary. Yes, I need to talk about the Al Jazeera stuff. Look, the reason I haven't watched Al Jazeera is I was at Labour Party Conference, rushing around, just didn't have any time. It's just like a bubble when you're up there. The Al Jazeera revelations about the Labour Party are very important, and I will go to it, I promise. I'm also gonna interview Peter Oborn, and I will talk to him specifically, about the Labor, um, the documentary on that. So we'll have a conversation about that. So I will get onto the Al Jazeera documentaries, I promise you. Um, But just quickly, yes, Conservative Party Conference. Well, that video we're gonna do is gonna be the most, I'm more excited about that video than anything I've ever done. I mean, it's just gonna be something else. Gonna go to Birmingham, gonna talk to Conservative delegates, hopefully some MPs about the clusterfuck, which has now enveloped the country, thanks to them. And I think that's the other point, just quickly, just to finish on that, I do want to explore. It's easy, I didn't finish this point, it's easy to just blame Liz Truss and Crazy Quartang, but this is a 40-year decade experiment, right-wing think tanks, Tory MPs, right-wing newspapers, they made this happen. This is on them, they did all of this, and it's really important we make that clear, because it's not about getting rid of a couple of people at the top of the Conservative Party, it's about ending this experiment, and we need to get Labour to do that. Great, well, thank you for allowing me to get through this with a voice which is imploding. We did it. We did it together. I'll go and see what I can do about my voice. Um, I'm about to do Mehdi Hassan's show in America, so I'll have to explain that to them. Uh Uh-oh. But lots of love, guys. Um, As I said, watch out for next Wednesday. That's when the documentary on the Conservative Party will be hitting. You can make those videos possible. We want to do more of those videos on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. And I'll do a post asking what sort of questions you would like me to ask. All right, everyone, lots of love. I'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you found that educational, interesting, engaging, and all sorts of other things. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84. You keep doing the podcast and the channel uh, with our incredible team's work, or use the support function in the description. And do subscribe and leave us a review, please. Some stars, any of those things. But otherwise, lots of love. Hope you well. Speak to you soon.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.